Welcome to The Elephant in New York, presented by the Fearless People Experience. Do you know those things in the workplace that make work suck, but remain unchanged? Well, those are the elephants we're here to talk about. We believe that these topics can and should be addressed with common sense, courage, and compassion. We may not have all the answers, and we're definitely not always going to be right. But we're here to build a better people experience. We gotta start somewhere. Let's go. Today's elephant in the org is remote hybrid work, specifically the shifting goalposts of remote hybrid policies and how those are affecting psychological safety. I'm Danny Glutch. I am an organizational design expert and philosopher. I'm here with Marion Anderson. Hello. Chief people officer, PhD uh, student studying hmm, hybrid work and psychological safety. Surprise Pikachu. Shock hotter. And we're also joined by Kasha Dora. Hi. I tend to do a lot of work with an organizational development and people development. And I like that kind of stuff. Makes me happy. Makes me intrigued. And I'm really excited for our subject today. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Marion, you are literally the expert in the field. What... What the hell is going on with all of the shifting policies? Oh, man. If only we knew. Here, here's the thing. Whenever people ask me as the expert about remote hybrid work and, you know, how to do this in a way that's best for the business, best for the employee, and look at me to have all the answers, all I can say is, I don't know, because actually... Nobody has the answer. That's the thing. It's the the holy grail as such, right? So where are we at? How did we get here? We had our pandemic and we obviously collectively in organizations had to make decisions overnight to protect our people, to protect our business. We went remote. Yeah, there was an acute need uh-huh. to, to make a shift. There was no yeah. like organizational philosophy that went with it of like, hey, this is actually going to be good for our people and good for our organization. No, I mean, there's tons of studies before then that validates a lot of those thoughts and, you know, there is empirical data, but yeah, it wasn't mainstream. And then, you know, little little thing called uh, COVID-19 happened and we had to just overnight go remote. And then during that time, there were so many things going on. We had economic challenges. We had the, the boom in e-commerce. We had crazy hiring patterns like that we've not seen in a long time. And there were so many different levers and things that we were trying to do to retain people, to attract people, to find talent in other areas because we could, because we were remote. So there were so many different things happening. And then you know, the vaccine came and we all started to get better and, you know, wanted to get back to some sense of normality, except we realised that a lot of us, we quite liked working at home, if not all the time, some of the time. And we were able to do more things in our lives. We were able to have dogs, have babies, go hikes, uh, not sit in traffic for X amount of minutes, hours, whatever per week. And protect the environment by not burning up gas and we couldn't afford gas anyway because it got expensive so all these things happened and then we get to 2022 midway end of into 2023 and somehow somewhere we have 
the goalpost shifting happening, and I think the most notable one that really kicked it off was Twitter. Mm. If you remember when uh, Mr. Musk purchased Twitter and they'd gone from being very, you know, very employee-friendly, employee-centric, big promoters of remote hybrid working, um, he bought it and then said, you know, if you're not in the office 40 hours a week, then you're fired. You have no future here. Even though some of those people were clearly hired during the pandemic Absolutely. and were they were hired in their contract as, uh, I'm a remote worker, I'm in yeah. Missouri. I'm well, in- even I still remember the article about him making that announcement and they'd shown a woman who, in order to get this massive project over the line, like brought a sleeping bag into work and she was sleeping on the floor of the office. Yeah. And then- like showing that level, sheer level of dedication to the business, to her team, right? Like to something bigger than herself. And then to be given an ultimatum like that, like the amount of pride that you take into something just drops so drastically when you're given what is an ultimatum, right? I mean, that's truly like what what Elon did. He gave them an ultimatum and basically said that. Yeah. And, you know, and that kickstarted a chain of events because then other, you know, companies began to be bolstered by that and thought, well, if Elon can do it, we can do it. And, you know, we have the the banks of the world and, you know, a lot of other corporate entities certainly uh, sort of starting to embrace those business practices. And so where are we now? Well, now we're in a place where that pattern of returning to the office is at its highest rate than it's ever been since pre-pandemic. And we have a lot of pissed off people out there. We have a lot of pissed off employees because they started off maybe remote um, believing that that would be, they would have that flexibility because the company said we're remote first, we believe in this. We'll, we'll give flexibility, whether it be hybrid, be remote, but suddenly the goalposts have shifted and life has happened in between all of that. And now, you know, employees are being put in a situation where they're having to choose, is it my job or is it all of the other things that are more meaningful to me? Well, I mean, yeah, been so much of a choice if you have a partner and a kid in, in a school district yeah. and now your your job that is it it paying you maybe they're paying you fine but they're yeah. your partner's probably also trying to work to afford rent because rent is like four thousand dollars a month now yeah and yeah. and like they're they're asking for the entire family unit to change based on one of the employers like 50 percent of the employers of this household are demanding you come back to work yeah but 100 percent of the household now has to adjust well, Yeah. And Danny, you're so correct. I mean, like I could, we could even use like my family household dynamic as an example, right? Like the beginning of the pandemic, we had two cars and we were both working in locations and then the pandemic comes. And like, I was kind of like mildly remote before the pandemic to begin with, but just due to travel for work, you know, like if you're traveling for work, you know how to work remotely, but um, you know, the pandemic rolls and we got rid of one car. We have one car between myself and and my partner, and that's completely fine because we rarely need to get another one. And if so, you've got all these options like Lyft and Uber and Turo if you're going to rent a car for a few days or something like that. Like you've got your options, but like 
if I were ever to accept an on-site job again in the future, I'd literally have to have it as part of my thought process on, can you pay me enough to afford something I don't have right now? Yeah. Like, and the car payment and the insurance and the gas and all this kind of stuff, yeah. right? Like, and that's something that I think a lot of people, to Marion's point earlier, right? Like that economic and just the <clears throat> socio-political clim- climate, climate change, wanting to be better about things, people... People have been very conscious of how they impact their environment and our work environments are supposed to be something that we can hopefully right, feel secure in. And in that whole change that happened during the pandemic with being able to reach out to people in different spaces, mm-hmm. you also opened the door for people who finally felt seen in the workplace, right? People who had disabilities or something like that. And just included it all if you have the, yeah. the numbers of people who identify as having a disability, them being employed skyrocketed because yeah. of the opportunity of remote work, Absolutely. right? It's not just being seen, it's it's actually included and being able to make an impact yeah. and use their talents um, for, for something that they, you know, want to do. And, Beyond and- the air quote, reasonable accommodation. Yeah. That- like that's so important. And, and that's, that's something that that's being lost. And uh, honestly, like the, the disabled community is probably going to be the the first round of layoffs and they'll word it in a way to where there's not going to be lawsuits. I'm sure they'll at least try, but I mean, they're the most, one of the most vulnerable populations who are employed. And I imagine the return to office is going to be like affect them most immediately. And I think, I think to that same point, right. It's, it's that, that group of people. And also a group of people that we didn't have in the workplace before. And those are people who experience long COVID symptoms and the amount of other, you know, accommodation that people who go through long COVID, which didn't even exist three years ago, um, but is now considered, you know, right. Probably within that disability group set as well, where beforehand things might not have been air quote on that level. And, and, you know, those who experience disability that's just one segment of um you know our, our diverse population you know we have people that are caregivers that parents of young children there's so many different things that impact people's availability for work and you yeah know, we talk about the importance of inclusion well this is what inclusion is yeah. inclusion. it's every it's everyone right it's not just a it's it's people who chose to go back to school yeah right and like if you're going back to school and suddenly you're like, well, my classes start at 4.30 and I've been able to have a flexible working hours and work seven to four at home, but now I've got to be in an office. Now I have to calculate my drive time home for my class to start. And like, it's just the, fr- <laughs> I know, I know. Right. But these are like the stresses that like, unfortunately the workforce is living through, or even people who are like wanting to job hunt for something else. You know what I mean? Where they're like, well, I I like my job, but you know, for whatever reason, you want to leave your your current state of employer. Everyone's got their reasons, and they're all valid. Um, but you know, these are now considerations of a candidate that an employer didn't counter before. Yeah, yeah, and and I think I think you know, just to kind of bring back around to that psychological safety component, I think a lot of businesses. At the beginning of the pandemic, where things started to go remote, right? Like they, a lot of them actively sought out feedback on how to how to create community remotely. Um, and 
now, like where we're at now with this like pullback to the office, one of the big reasons we tend to hear is a lack of community. Yeah. It's right? like, oh nope, turns out that was impossible. And it's like, oh, I don't, I don't know if it was impossible. I think maybe <laughs> you didn't give it a good, good try or yeah. what you did try. I mean, some places like they were like, hey, we have Zoom, that's enough. Hey, we hired this one company to do once a quarter, they they do Jeopardy for an hour. That's enough. And it's like, no, I'm sorry, that doesn't actually build community. Like you need yeah. to try harder before you say this doesn't work. We're bringing everyone in the office for this reason. Yeah. It's not a one size fits all approach either. It yeah. has to be what's right for your organization, what's right for your people, what's what industry too. Yeah, right? absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, I think consistency is one of the biggest things. If you're the type of organization that for whatever reason, which is entirely up to you as a as a business owner, you know, if your industry, if your business needs people to be in person, that's fine. Like that, that's that's reality. Yeah. There's it nothing is. wrong with that, right? Just be consistent. If you're in healthcare, if you're in car sales, right? You got to be at the dealership to get the car moving. Like, I get that. I am totally with you, Marion. But it's not a one size fits all. It really isn't. It's not. And it's not. And and so just be consistent. The the where the real damage is happening, and we're seeing this every day. Uh again, Twitter, Amazon, who obviously very data-driven in everything that they do. Apparently, um, this is what data doesn't matter. Yeah, data <laughs> doesn't matter when we need to change policies for our employees. Yeah, we're just going to go in our gut instinct for that one. Um, you know, the, the, the this is where the damage is happening. And, and my concern is, is that, you know, there's a bit of an arrogance out there. Well, you know, we attract the best talent. Therefore, we're never going to have a problem attracting and retaining people. Well, actually, you are because when you shift the goalposts and you decimate their psychological safety and ultimately your organizational culture, they're going to pick something, a, a, an employer of choice. They're going to pick going there where they feel psychologically safe and, and they have the opportunities to learn, grow and, and, and really reap the rewards of all of that over than a big fat paycheck. That is they are. Well, and on top of it, most people are going to pick, right? You always hear that phrase, right? That work-life balance and stuff like that. Um, people aren't going to pick an eighth of their lives over the other two-thirds of their life. They're going to pick the other two-thirds of their life. Now, economically speaking, that is a very privileged thing to say, and I'm very aware of that because sometimes you need a job and it doesn't matter what it is because you have bills to pay and mouths to feed and a roof over your head and all these kind of things. But at the beginning of the pandemic, we had we saw a our rent rate starting to rise. We saw the gas rates starting to rise, right? All of these economic factors that were happening. We also saw some businesses were like jobs were paying three times what they were typically valued at in the market, right? And so people made a, a very smart, educated decision in that point in time to relocate. Yeah. yeah, to go somewhere where things were able to get stretched farther with the rising rent rates and the rising gas rates, and whether or not their income stretched to meet that or not, and th- and then all of a sudden to demand like, hey, I'm sure you loved your two years in Nashville. It's time to move back to New York, Seattle. Yeah, yeah. we expect you two days in the week, two or three days out of the week to. What are you going to do? Like, you're not going to put me up in a hotel. I'm not going to. Put myself yeah. in a hotel and airfare. Just to- myself out and put let myself me- in a hotel two days every week. Let me just throw this. And we're obviously using examples here that are clearly for larger businesses. Your smaller, like county business or city businesses, where you're not 
multiple locations, right? Very different experience for that, but we're talking bigger here in this example. Oh, yeah, but I'm just going to I'm just going to name this particular relevant. You know, you raised a really good point there, Kasha, around companies that for lots of different economic reasons overhired during mm-hmm. the pandemic and they paid ridiculous salaries because the the talent availability was so restricted in the market. You were literally having to give a kidney and a lung to get the cream of the crop talent. And then, you know, call me cynical, but I do believe that a lot of the layoffs that came around using, um, should we say, using the tool of we're getting people back to the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, it's up to you if you if you if you're good and you want to come in, then great. And if not, then well, you know. But they no were trying. They were trying to correct for the mistake of they overhiring. Were over- yeah. for overhiring and right, just, just naming it as something else, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. basically. And it, it, you know, and it, I, I, it's not great. But you know, having been in a an SCP role at that time, like. It, bloody hard thing to navigate really hard to navigate and you're trying to constantly make good decisions for the business that you're in and and, and trying to protect everyone's interests all at the same time but you're working in a very strange uh you know vacuum with very weird dynamics because we hadn't experienced anything like that before ultimately regardless of all of that we're in a place now where I believe that our psychological safety is absolutely paramount to how we progress forward. And I just worry that many companies are taking a very short-term view on that. They're thinking about the here now, which is all about just keeping the lights on, which is right. We're in an economic challenging period. But man, you got to look beyond that too, because if not, you're going to lose all your best people. And you lose your people, you've lost your business. Yeah, but also it's it's not just lose your people. If if your people are just sad, right? Yeah. If, if it's hard to come into work, right? We, we always say happy people equals productive people equals profit, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not caring about their psychological safety. If you're not showing them that, hey, we trust you to do this job, do you want to come into the office? Yes or no? Like how many days? If so, how can we support you? Right. Giving that trust and that autonomy is going to help them. Right. And And I think too, like Danny, completely to your point, I've, I've read a few articles and I wish I could name, think of what they were, uh, where they were outside of knowing that they were on LinkedIn at the time, but some of the businesses that have had a good success rate with reintroducing return to office have done it under the lens of like team-based stuff, right? Where they're like, you know, they're not going to make the whole office of a hundred people come in every Tuesday, right? It's more of like this team or this department or this faction of what we're doing come in at a particular day and, and build up to that. Right. And then you start to have a different level of change when, you maybe you are right to kind of go back to why are you bringing people back to the office? Is it for teamwork? Is it for collaboration? Is it for the fact that you have a four year lease and you're stuck no matter what? And control of the workforce, right? Like there, there are so many factors. And, you know, while I love to be that person that assumes positive intent, there are inexperienced leaders who don't know how to communicate and don't know how to actually like move their people and lead versus just looking at the spreadsheet and talking to their CFO and saying what has to happen to keep the lights on 
and the people quotient, right? They're looking now to our people teams and saying, well, here's the number, make it happen. Yeah. yeah. And, and those who are intentional, those who are creating the return to work experience from a caring perspective, those are the ones where people are, they're starting to report back that the data that they're getting is positive. Well, yeah, yeah cause you're doing it positively. <laughs> Your data is going to tell a story based on how you approach it. And these companies are following the absolute basics of change management, form your guiding coalition, secure buy-in, make people part of the change, bring yeah. them into the equation. Yeah. Because it's only by designing it together from a, a from a you know cross-organizational perspective and not a top-down perspective, are you going to have any success? This is not rocket science. No, it's not. but it kind of is for a huge majority of businesses that don't have either change management experts that maybe they were formed in the pandemic and they're just green in general, or maybe they were formed in the 70s and it's hard for them to make that change now in the world that they're living in because they're probably going through leadership change due to when they were created to begin with. Like we... When I was going through and looking at master's programs for myself, I was really keen to pay attention to things that talk about the multi-generational workspace that we're in, because I think that's a huge part of the problem with this return to office experience and the willingness to be remote and the willingness to be in person. It's that multi-generational grouping of people that see everything and those that choose not to or haven't seen it and can't relate to it because they've never seen it before. And it's an interesting time to be wor- a working professional. <laughs> yes. It's funny because we, we're normally always remote, but here I am actually sitting next to Marion and it's, it's so weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, weird. Uh, but like one thing we've learned is, is honestly, some things are just easier over zoom. Yeah. Like they, they just are like, I, yeah. I guarantee this audio recording is not going to be as nice as if we were all on our own with our own microphones and stuff. There are certain things that, that I've learned running, you know, facilitating workshops and things where it's like, Oh my goodness, this just goes so much easier over zoom. And I think if people really took um, inventory of where the benefits are of being in office, where the benefits are of being remote, we actually could, could just have an honest assessment of, wow, you know what? There are some really good reasons to be remote and we can really empower people. Yeah, There are also people who are really struggling to feel a sense of belonging because they're just in their apartment by themselves literally 24 hours a day now. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's isolate. The pandemic was isolating to begin with, right? And remote work. Of that isolation. Yeah. And yeah. not that either. No. So yeah. there is no magic one size fits all solution here. It no, there's to, not. You know, it has to be what's right for your people, what's right for the company, what's gonna, you know, give you the optimal amount of employee happiness. Yeah. Um, and also that that individual uh meet those individual needs because we all have different needs mm-hmm. and we all need different things to make us successful. So think about it that way. Think about how, what tools, what resources, what support do you need to give your people to give them the optimal opportunity for success? Yeah, I completely agree, Marion. I think there's there's so many factors, right? Like this is not one of those things where it's like everyone knows how to cut an apple, right? There's not that many ways to do it. It's yeah. cutting an apple. No, no. But, I've seen 
many a people cut apples very incorrectly. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a bad example, but you know what I mean? Like the, the difference is, is that there are so many factors. There's the people factors, your economic factors, your business factors. That's just, and that's just like the tip of the iceberg when it comes to air quote, the right decision or the correct way to go about it. And I think I think the businesses that will net the most positive are those who acknowledge all of those factors in their decision-making process. Because acknowledging only one tip of that spear, when you have a lot of them, uh, it, it, that's what that's what kind of chips away at the lack of psychological safety is not acknowledging all of those components and addressing them. But one of the first things that gets dropped, let's be honest, is the employee experience Mm. and what it really like. Were they included? Hey, we did your engagement survey to see what you want for return to office. And then we ignored it and did what we were going to do anyways. Like that, mm, bad vibes. No, absolutely not. That's, That's the opposite of what you want. Yeah. Right. I would rather someone just come in and say, here, we're dictating this. We're not even going to ask rather than asking first and then dictating later. Be consistent. Yeah. Be consistent. You know, and, you know, maybe actually ask your people, have that coalition, ask them what they really want. You're going to get more buy-in and it's going to go better. Yeah. All right. Well, any last thoughts? I'm sure this is a topic that we will come back to again and again and That's again. fair. Yeah. I also read Marion's PhD dissertation when it comes out. Um, I'm sure that's <laughs> yeah. Gonna, I'm like, sure academically we're yeah, going to be reading about light, this like, for a long time. Reading, right. <laughs> Just with your coffee or tea and biscuits. I don't know what British people do um, in the morning. She's not British though. Why? She's Scottish. Well, yes, you are I, Scottish. I am Scottish, but we're not having that fight. Technically that makes me British, but whether I won that or not, that's a whole other thing. And on that note, everyone, please subscribe, follow, uh, share the podcast, email us if you uh, if you have an elephant that you want us to talk about. The email address will be in the show notes, but also Marion has it memorized. It's elephant at thefearlesspx.com. No one can remember that. That's impossible. Anyways, we'll see you next time, everyone. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.